Hello and welcome back to another episode of Binge List and Box Office Hits, the podcast about all things film, TV and streaming, with your host, Shannon Holiday, and me, Letitia Thomas. All right, welcome back. I am your host, Shannon Holiday. I am joined again by Letitia Thomas. It's good to have you back in the house today, Tish, after having a week off. How are you feeling now? Um, better. Thanks for the intro. I totally just bluffed it before, so we've made Shannon do it. That's okay. I yep. kind of just uh, took took that one on, <laughs> on speed, yep. took that one. Yeah, we're like sitting here and I'm like, I've got nothing this yeah. week. Yep. It's all right. I think we'll do it next week where we actually hear the intro and then we'll start. Yeah. It might make it a little bit yeah, easier. Yeah, it's like, and I'll start and you're like, oh. Where are we going with this? Where are we going with this? Yeah. So, yes, audio should be back to normal. You're in the house. It's all sounding great. No longer on FaceTime. No, thank no God. No more sickness, thank God, yeah. either, which is fantastic. Wasn't COVID, turns out. So, I didn't have as much time to watch everything I thought I was going to get yeah, to watch. you're back to work I, quicker than you yeah, expected. Had to actually go to work. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, we're doing things a little bit differently this week. Um, as you can see from the topic name, it's called, um, I'll add it to the list. So this week was more about the idea of us going through things. We kind of keep saying to people, oh, I'm going to watch that. Yeah, I'll add it to the list. I'll get back to it. So we use this week to not really do kind of a main topic. We use this time to kind of pick things we've been just putting on the back burner. So, so to speak, the main topic, that's what we'll get into is the, what we've been watching, which will be the back end of the episode. And then we'll just go through our usual news and trivia and just little tidbits of stories that we'll just end up talking about throughout the episode, most likely. Yeah, we had a comment too um, by Pepito, the world's largest cat. Um, <laughs> yes, Pepito. <laughs> who said we should do an episode on binge list so we can add it to our binge list, which we kind of incidentally ended uh, doing, up doing this week. Yeah. So. so thank you, Pepito the cat, for that strong suggestion on... Um, doing a binge list of our binge list so we can binge list on our binge list. Yep, this one's for you. Thank you, Pepito. Um, we'll get into the news. I think so. Yeah. So, Transformers Rise of the Beast debuts with A- on CinemaScore. This time round, the characters are apparently a bit more human than usual for a Transformers film. Okay, it's interesting that they're rebooting this a little bit. Have you seen the trailer for it at all? I haven't seen a single Transformers film. Oh my God. Okay. Well, we might have to do a deep dive into that series, yeah. I think, at some point once this is out. I mean, look, I know everything about them. I just yeah. miss them in the early 2000s. Yeah. And I think it would have been earlier. Like, I think the first one came out when I was 17, 18. So you would have been like 12, 11. I think so. Yeah. That's before your time for a, like a. Especially because they're marketed towards teenage boys, especially the first one. Yeah, Megan Fox. Megan Fox. Yeah. Yeah, go figure. Um, Shia LaBeouf. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this one looks like it's it's a completely different cast. Rise of the Beast, they've got the Beast characters, which is a different line of toys from the Transformers films. It's got the main actor that's out of Into the Heights. Mm -hmm. Um, He's the main actor out of that. He's in this one as well as kind of like the protagonist. I don't really know what the story is going to be about. Like the Decepticons still trying to attack the Earth and then there's even more beasts, robots in there to save them. I don't know because there was one of them, I think the fourth or fifth one was the dinosaur ones. I think so, yeah. yeah. And they already tried that kind of storyline where it's like, oh, they've been living anciently here for a while. What's going on? Just the whole idea of Transformers is so bizarre to me. It's an interesting, like, yeah. Well, it's a yeah Japanese-based toy line, right? That yeah. turned into animation cartoons, and now it's doing live-action films. 
like I get why people think it's cool. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Like I understand the appeal, but it just it's just a wild idea that that has sort of kept going for so long. Yeah. Like no Took one's off. like, yeah. oh, okay, we're a bit over them. They're so well, you know. Yeah, they kind of did. They've rebooted this like two or three times now. They had the Bumblebee standalone film. Oh yeah, and then they after the first three films with four and five, they had a completely new cast and kind of like rejigged the storyline where it's like it wasn't really the same like story anymore. Like they were like living somewhere else, then coming back. It was weird with Mark Wahlberg. Definitely need to at least watch one of them now that I'm realizing how many actually exist. Yeah, there's six out all up now, and this will be the seventh one of the live action. You know, America Hollywood based ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Transformers. Nextly, uh, Chris Pratt teases a sequel to the Super Mario Brothers movie. So he has gone on record to say that we're in the midst of this writer strike, and so everything has been on pause and put on hold for the right reasons. He said, "I really do support the WGA and our writers. When the negotiations have been completed and the writers feel comfortable moving forward, then it'll be time to start talking about what's next for that." So basically very vague, but alluding to that there'll be more films. Yeah. I like, look, I'm excited to actually finally watch the Mario Brothers film. I haven't yet seen mm. it and I probably won't go to cinemas to watch it at this point if it's, it's even still on. Yeah, it's out on DVD in like two, three weeks, yeah. July 7th. So might as well just hold out and wait for it to come out physically and grab it then. It's really good. I really enjoyed it. I'd watch it again in a heartbeat. It's worth seeing. Yeah, no, I'm like super yeah. excited to see it. But like, do you read what he said? And just feel like maybe he was quoted indirectly or something. But does it feel a little bit like he doesn't give a shit about the writer's strike? Not a, Yeah. It's very vague and I feel like it was put in there because it's, you know, PR yeah. looking good. Yeah. He's like, oh, yeah, we can't do anything right now. We can't make a bit more money. But, but when know, they're ready to. When they're ready. Yeah. Like, it's sort of patronising in a it way. Was, that's the way I read it too. Yeah. It was just like, like uh, when they're finally done making a bit of a tantrum, yeah. we'll get back to making yeah. films. Yeah. yeah. That's how I read it as well. Um, but that's Chris Pratt. He's yeah. not exactly everyone's favourite actor. It's so sad. I loved him so much when I was a teenager and yeah. had watched Parks and he was known as Andy, not, you know. Chris Pratt. Chris Pratt. Yeah. Yeah. It's, when, it's once he took on the Guardian roles in the Jurassic World movies, he kind of, I don't know, I feel like it went to his head a little bit. Yeah. I think his whole like personal philosophies changed a little bit and yeah. stuff in between him and Anna Faris and then getting with. Schwarzenegger's daughter. One. Yeah. I forget her name, but yes, her. Yeah, Catherine? Catherine. Is it? Yeah. Yeah, that was that was very messy, but I, I guess... It's hard. A, it's hard because their lives are so in the spotlight. Mm-hmm. I mean, everyone's lives can get messy, you know, stuff like that happens all the time. Um, I guess we're just commenting on something that we really have no say in. And that's the thing, like, you can have... Like, I have an opinion from what I see mm. from an outsider perspective, but I yeah. can't truly go out there and say too much because at the end of the day, like... We don't know these people. We don't actually no. see what the reality is. However, if you are super famous, I think you need to understand what your public image is, whether yeah. that's true or not. And is that a public image you want? Yes. Okay, fine. No. Yeah. Clean some things up, change some things. Yeah. I don't know. It's hard because a lot of them do have PR and managers mm-hmm. and stuff like that. The teams that actually like are dedicated to making sure that their public image is <laughs> the right one. So I don't know if they listen or not, but... Yeah. yeah, that's Chris Pratt. That's but Chris Pratt. Coming back to the Super Mario Brothers movie, um, I have seen a diff- couple of different actors that are in it speaking about doing spin-off movies that they'd want to see their characters in. So uh, Charlie Day, who voices Luigi, he was really he's really been saying in a lot of interviews that he'd love to see like a Luigi's Mansion kind of spin-off movie where it's just like the horror-based 
kind of games where Luigi goes around in a mansion looking for ghosts as its own spin-off. And then Seth Rogen was also mentioning about doing a Donkey Kong Country kind of spin-off as well because it kind of did definitely cement some kind of origin stories there from in the Super Mario Brothers movie that they could probably do that. And I think, think it would be pretty cool though. He wasn't that terrible at being Donkey Kong either. I think if you put enough true character work and story into mm. those things and because they are sort of marketed to a degree to children so you mm. can have a lot of fun with them, I think they can work as sort of a world building but not yeah. specifically. Sort of like a Puss in Boots where they go off and do something They do their own things, yeah. yeah. So they could definitely do that. Like they could – they could do the mainline Super Mario Brothers movies and then have a couple of spin-offs as well. That could definitely work. Mm. There's a little teaser at the end of the first movie, right at the end after the credits and all that, that Yoshi will probably be in the second one. There's just a Yoshi egg sitting there. Yeah, everyone loves Yoshi. And everyone loves Yoshi. So they've definitely left some storylines open for the second one, which is good. Looking forward to it. Alrighty, cracking on. While on a panel with Jennifer Coolidge in Sydney, Mike White teased that he'd love to hit all the continents in his White Lotus. So incidentally, he'd love to shoot in Australia. And he says, it would be so fun. Obviously, there's a huge wealth of talent here and the beauty is inarguable. So it feels like it checks all the right boxes. And I would love to see a little bit of White Lotus in Australia. I think that would be fantastic. Where do you think they would film in Australia? <sighs> With Sundays, something like that? Yeah, or like far north Queensland. Far north type. Queensland. Cocker Island. Oh, that would be fantastic. Could you imagine them all running around with little quokkas? <laughs> that would be so good. The drama. Yeah. Someone's there trying to get a quokka selfie. That or like, you know, like desert-based yeah. um, kind of like retreats. Or like uh, Tassie. They, they've got options. It depends what kind of storyline they're mm. planning on building because obviously the first two, it's based on like a type of a type of classism and that's reflected of where they are as well. So the first one was, yeah, like the super rich versus not. The second one's, I think, I forget it's like – there's some adult themes Is in the second it, one. I haven't seen the second one. Oh, it's more infidelity. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Yeah. And that's why it's it's Italy. Italy. It's Italy. Yeah. So the third one's, I think, Japan. I'd have to look that up. I did know. Don't hold I've, it to me. I've totally forgotten. I don't know if it's – no, uh, it's Thailand. That's right. Yes. Yep. Yes. My bad. Yeah, but it's a very good show. So I'd love to see him do it in Australia. Yeah, I'd love to see who we get. Jennifer to. Coolidge wouldn't be in it. No. 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 She's, um, she's done her dash the gays, in the show. The gays killed her in season two. Yeah. 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 God bless him. R.I.P. Do you know these gays? <laughs> she's a fantastic They're character. They're trying to in kill that. me. Have you seen the first season where yeah. she's trying to essentially put the ashes of her mom in the water <laughs> yeah. and she just starts crying oh, on yeah, this I w- boat? I watched both seasons. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she's fantastic. <laughs> it was so much fun. She's so good in that. Uh, all right. So last bit of news for this uh, week is The Office is getting an Australian reboot, this time with a female lead in place of the David Brent or Michael Scott character. And this is going to be played by Felicity Ward. Production is set to take place in Sydney later this month with a release schedule for 2024. So I have a brief plot synopsis of episode one. Uh, Felicity Ward's character is named Howard. Howard gets news from head office that her branch will be shutting down and the staff will have to work from home. She makes promises that she can't keep and launches plots in order to keep her family together. So very similar to the first episodes of both series of the UK and the US ones, but kind of taking into account, I guess, COVID, the whole idea of working from home, taking a spin on the original storylines. Yeah, I mean, I've not really seen much of The Office, admittedly. Like, I've seen bits and pieces, but I just think... Do we not already have this? Like we have Fisk with Kitty Flanagan and yep. then we have um, – I was like, I'm going to remember this. I've got the <laughs> first two seasons at home. So 
that nice one on the ABC with Celia Pacola and someone else. Oh, it's about the office. She's one. fantastic. Yeah, Cecilia. him and her and Luke, and they yep. do. The, I'm gonna look it up while we're talking. Yeah, but I just think haven't we already kind of got got enough? That? Well, not just of the Australian ones. I just think there's enough Office going around. There's nearly every country in the world has done a version of The Office. Yeah, and, oh, um, and the US one is already a copy of the UK one. Yeah, it's like, already a copy. Make something original, please. Yeah. yeah. Utopia was what I was Utopia, thinking of. Utopia, yes. I have yeah. seen that DVD. Kitty Flanagan's also in that. Now I'm looking at it. Yeah. Anyway. Well, they're all comedy friends. Yeah. But here's the thing. I don't think they used a female lead for any other reason besides being progressive. Oh, yeah, me too. Uh, it's no real reason to have the story drive. So that's a you know touchy subject just there. Yeah. Um, and also there's just no relevant need for this show at the moment in this sphere of time. I just... Yeah, I'm I, worried about it. I don't think it's going to do well given the way the Australian industry supports its TV shows. If it looks like it's even half struggling, it'll just get cancelled like instantly. So it's yeah. not like America where they're like, cool, this is a season, we'll do it, we'll come back the same year after, do it the same timeline. Even if a show does well and they want it to come back, it could be two, three years by the time it comes back in Australia. Oh, yeah. It'll end up on probably like the ABC or it'll go to a streaming platform. Yeah. And they'll forget about it instantly. Like, not much. I think it's supposed to be on Stan. Well, there you go. So, yeah, it's, it's going to be a streaming one and it's going to get forgotten very quickly. Which, yeah, they, they punch things out on Stan in an interesting way. Because, again, it's just kind of like what they used to do with broadcast telly, where mm. they market it to Australians pretty much only. Mm-hmm. Um, and then. They put a lot of into the marketing, but they don't make it special in any way. And then they just kind of hope that someone will catch up. And like, look, don't get me wrong. We've had some fantastic like Australian TV that I've seen. Yeah. But I haven't seen it because someone's told me it's good or this or that. It's because I've gone hunting for it Yeah, and gone, oh, I'll try this out. Or it's, it's a connection been, to someone that's in it who's in something yeah. else. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to, it's risky. Yeah. yeah. Like I wish they'd put these things on platforms that were global yeah. Rather than stands only Australia, so yeah, it's and not it, getting. It a buys wide. a lot of um, other ones from overseas, like it buys a lot of Showtime stuff, mm-hmm. um, and that's how it works here. Yeah, that's how they would get their money. But it's just it's it's a shame because we have made some good stuff, and like Netflix in the past did. Well, their big one for us was Heartbreak High. They rebooted. Yeah, that was very um, popular. Which I loved it. Like people didn't like it because they're like, I want the nineties version. And I'm like, yeah, okay, yeah, but, but it's it's thirty years. It's later. like a Degrassi, you know. Yeah. So it's like. Yeah, it's the a, next generation. Like it's very Gen Z. I'm like, yeah, because it's the point. That's the that, that's what. That's yeah. That's who's at high school at the moment. Yeah, <laughs> like, but it did really well. But again, it went went global. Yeah, because it was allowed to have that yeah. reach. But we'll it was see what very happens. popular. So that's definitely coming back for a season two. Hey. Yeah, they're start. They've started shooting now. They have. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I need to catch up on that. Down one. in Sydney, it's worth it. It's yeah. funny. Okay. It reminds me of my high school experience quite a lot, actually. Yeah. Yeah, just all the sex scandals and stuff. Yeah. My school was. Wasn't there like? Isn't there like a burn book in it or something? Or um, burn wall? They have a wall. A I wall? can't think what yeah. it's called. Um, probably can't say it. Actually, it's probably inappropriate yeah, okay. for our podcast. Anyway, check it out. Uh, we're getting into our trivia this week. Um, we're back to the cards because uh, we're both in the same room, so we can just pick a card, any card. And I'm going to pick one for you straight off the bat. Oh, cool. Here we go. Let's go. All righty. Which 1978 musical was set in Riddell High School? Oh, it's Grease. You got it's it. It's Rydell High also. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Me with pronunciation is going to take a while. I was while. like, I don't. Yeah, no, okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the way I read things, the way I say things. 
What song was Mr. Blonde dancing to in the unforgettable torture scene in Tarantino's Reservoir Dogs? That's where he cuts off the the ear. Stuck in the middle with you? Yeah, that's yeah, the one. Yeah, nailed it. Okay, cool. They worded this really badly. I had yeah. to think about it. Yeah. It's um, There's typos. Yeah. It's a great, great movie. Great movie. I don't love it that much. Really? I'm not a big Tarantino fan. I mean, I understand what he did, but I didn't care about any of the characters, which is my only crap because I was like, oh, they're getting tortured? Oh, well. Oh, well. I'll get into Tarantino when we go through what we've been okay, watching. Yeah. yeah. In what 1979 James Bond film does the famous spy go to outer space? Oh, I think I've actually seen this one. It's wild. Um, <laughs> I really like this one. I don't think I know the moon something. Close. Moon, I don't know. Moonraker. I've seen that one. It's yeah. the only one I've seen. From the classics. Of any James Bond oh, Really? Film. I was like, I'm going to pick one. And I think it was Moonraker. Moonraker. <laughs> there's a Jaws character. There's it's space. It's so weird. It's interesting. I think my cousin may have worked on that one. Or my uncle. Probably your uncle. It's 1979. Yeah, yeah. Probably my uncle. I don't think my cousin was alive then. No. Not yet. He's very young, running, working on Oh, he's a second cousin, so he's a bit older than me. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In what 1950 drama does Bette Davis say, fasten your seatbelts, it's going to be a bumpy night? Oh, God. Uh, see, I feel like I get all the ones from like the 1950s. <laughs> I feel like it's skewed towards I've me. seen this one though, so I'm Was it Bette Davis? Mm-hmm. Um, all I can think of, and it's wildly wrong, wildly wrong, uh, riding in cars with boys. Isn't that Drew Barrymore? <laughs> I'm very, very far off the mark. Um, it's all about Eve and I'm lending you this one because it is, it's phenomenal. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah I haven't, I haven't but seen it. T- to be fair, I probably wouldn't have. I wouldn't have. I, wasn't I don't it. remember that line. I wasn't going to get it. No. No. <laughs> all right. Let's, something from this era. If you'd give me that one though, probably close you might have James got Bond. it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. For what movie did Steven Spielberg win his first Oscar for best director? Um, well, we asked this one at work all the time, but I can never remember it. Is it Close Encounters for the third kind? No. No? Do you want a second guess? Uh. Schindler's List. Oh, yeah. I yeah. always forget he did that one. Yeah. With um, mm-hmm. Liam Neeson. Yeah. Liam Neeson. Very good film. Yeah, that's long. I didn't enjoy that. It's three hours, I, I think. Before I was three going to America, mm. um, we got a list about a week before being like, here's the top 100 films. Mm. You should watch them. Mm. And I went, this is a week before we're going. Thank you, uni. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, okay, I'll watch this one. And um, oh, I was just going through so many like you know mm. films I should have seen. And it was truly homework. And I was like, oh, good, we're nearly finished this. And then it stops and goes, put in disc two. Oh, yeah, and I was the intermission like, part. I just yeah. don't care at this point. Yeah, but It's very long. Okay, That's that one we did last week. What else we got? We did that one. <laughs> you shuffled them, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh. We might need a new uh, deck of cards ah. soon. Mess with the bull, get the horns is a phrase from what movie? Oh, God. You've definitely seen it. I probably have. I feel like I know the quote. Do you want some clues? Yes. Um, it was one of the ones with the the brat pack. Uh, 16 Candles? Mm, the Breakfast Club. When the teacher oh, goes, damn it. Mess with the bull, you get the horns. I love that film too. Yeah. Oh. Screws fall out all the time. The world's an imperfect place. <laughs> You know they filmed that in order? Yeah. So it's it, the the way you see the film is the way it was filmed I in love, that order, which I think is great. I love that film. Yeah, it's very good. I didn't get it the first time I watched it. No? I was just a teenager and I was just like, ah, whatever. It's just all it. in one room. Like, who cares? And then yeah, I watched it again only like maybe two years later and I was like, oh, I get this film. Yeah, I yeah. get it now. No, it's, it's very well done. Those actors went on to do heaps of stuff as mm-hmm. well. 
It dated weirdly, but still good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now we're getting into the main topic, which is basically what is used to be our first topic, which is <laughs> what we've been watching. Mainly because we wanted to do a catch-up episode of our, our um, binge list, our letterbox list, our I'll add it to the list episode. So I guess we'll start off with, we'll do one at a time, ask a few questions as to why you watched it, who told you, why you wanted to see it, and how you thought about it and go from there. Yeah, let's get into it. Yeah, absolutely. So, I, I mean, I watched a bunch of stuff this week. Yeah. Um, not all of it sort of is like, I'll get to it, but I watched a couple of um, different like interview type stuff before I get into like, you know, the stuff I should have been watching. Yeah. Um, I watched a Hollywood Reporter comedy actors roundtable. Yeah, okay. That was cool. I don't know if you've watched any of those. I haven't yet. I want to yeah. watch all those as well as the variety ones in one go. Yeah, so, yeah. I just find them like every now and then I'll watch them because someone was in it, like Natasha Leone was in this one and I knew a bunch of the others like um, Jenna Ortega's in yeah. it, like Devery Jacobs from Reservoir Dogs and it's just interesting. Oh, Elle Fanning, yeah. Yeah, Elle Fanning yep. to hear them talk about their projects and that yeah. kind of. It's just background information and stuff thing. that's relevant. Yeah, and that's to see cool. how they see acting and the whole yep. process and what projects they want, that kind of thing. Um, and then I watched another one, which was like a SAG AFTRA, which is the Screen Actors Guild of America, Federation of Television and Radio Artists. <laughs> oh my I was God, like, that's I don't a mouthful. Know what this means. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. A basically, mouthful. it's just, um, it was a sort of conversation for actors to go sit in a room with um, Juno Temple, who plays yeah. Keely Jones in Ted yep. Lasso, and Phil Dunster, who's Jamie. Um, and I just find watching that kind oh, of Jamie stuff. Jamie Tart. Yeah, Jamie yeah, Tart. Okay, yeah. Um, like, really interesting just to hear the actors process on it because I'm a writer so hearing how they look at character yeah yeah sort of helps inform how you then write and what helps the actors because it's kind of yeah you want your stuff to be able to be you said. Have feedback yeah yeah so that um, was their interpretation of Ted Lasso yeah their characters and just acting yeah. processes and auditions and all that because it was very much an event for like, young actors kind yeah of okay yeah um but yeah no I enjoyed reading that like watching that um okay I read a book you did read a book. I oh. read Page Boy by Elliot Page. Mm-hmm. And that was like truly like one of the coolest books I've read in yeah, a like while. In, like interesting. Yeah, yeah. It's just, it's not like, I mean, obviously for him, it's about his journey. Yeah. Figuring out who he is, being trans and that kind of thing. Yeah. But it's not specific to that. It's kind of just it's like, uh, yeah. hey, we're all human beings. Yeah. And if we're living for other people. Yeah to make everyone else happy, like, we just truly can't sustain living like that. And it was, like, some bits were super heartbreaking. Some was just yeah. funny just to hear what they were, like, getting up to at certain times on Juno. Sleeping with the other. Yeah, Olivia. Uh, yeah, just I saw that. All the time, anywhere. <laughs> all the time. <laughs> and just, you know, fantastic. different things. But, yeah, if you're a fan of Elliot Page or just a fan of, like, memoirs yeah. or just want to read a good book. It's like, worth, worth very um, much looking into. Think. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. I like reading memoirs by actors. Um yeah, you've got a couple. You've I've got, got a, probably like five or six now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good background. I yeah. try. <laughs> I tried to do the Steve Jobs one <laughs> a couple of years ago. <laughs> it was grim. I it think, was definitely like it was the, so dry with information, yeah. and that was the issue. I think the difference between what probably you're reading is it's because it's got a it's in a world where you find it interesting, mm-hmm. and you're finding out about other things in the industry while reading about their memoirs is is, is what the drive is there, whereas I, I was like, I don't care about this computer Mm-mm. part. I don't. I <laughs> I'm sorry. I think the first one I read was when I was just out of high school and I read Amy Poehler's Yes, Please. Yeah. And that, like, there were some bits I didn't really understand because I was only 18, and she's, like, talking about her divorce and her children, yeah, and I'm like, I can't understand. Was this. that divorce to Will Arnett? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
but it was just it was a great book to read at that age because her whole thing is because she comes from an improv background yeah was you know yes anding yes please and she's like the so the whole idea of that book was like try everything mm-hmm. because the worst thing that can happen is that you learn something about yourself exactly. and that's that you don't like it yeah and reading that at like 18 when i was just out of school like pretty big that was cool yeah and then that got me into reading them because I just think it's – if you care about these people in the world mm. and you don't like reading so much or if you do like reading, they're really fun books to read because it's not like it's not like reading sort of other books. Mm. It's like you care about this world and you get little insights into who they are, like what they're doing yeah. when they're filming like Parks and Rec or something yeah. like and that. And then when you go back and watch those things again, you can kind of appreciate it in a different way because you can see, oh, they're doing that in the background. I know what they're doing. And you understand them sort of as – people moving yeah. through the world yet yeah. yeah. i would you see them differently would recommend it okay but what have you been watching before i get into Alrighty. all my other stuff so one of probably close to seven or eight films this week uh we'll go one at a time the first one i watched was the hateful eight I... it's uh you haven't seen this one no but it is the same as Savarai, and it's it also it a bug's life yes no this one was great i absolutely thoroughly enjoyed it it's from 2015 it is a Quentin Tarantino film. It does star it stars Samuel Jackson, Kurt Russell, Jennifer Jason Lee, Walton Goggins, Tim Roth, Michael Madsen, and Channing Tatum. Is that it. why you watched it? No, it was actually Jennifer Jason Lee. Mm, yeah, no, I didn't think it was Jennifer. Fast Tatum. Times. Oh yeah. She's in Fast Times. She's the blonde in Fast Times yeah, yeah. when she's really young. But she I saw I looked up her cinematography after finishing that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, she's in the Hateful Eight, which is one of the only Quentin Tarantino's I haven't seen yet. So I was like, oh, bugger it. You know, the reason why I've been putting this off for so long is it's quite a long film. It's two hours, 47 minutes. Jeez. It's a rough go, um, just for timing. So I was like, no, this is the week we're catching up on things we've been putting on the back burner. So I chucked this one literally after we finished. I finished editing last week, finished editing, uh, sat down and just started it. It's a uh, it's beautiful film. Yeah, it's um he recorded it in sixty five mil, and then converted it to seventy mil. So it's filmed like on you know that old school kind of film. I love the grainy look. The grainy look. Um, the cast is standout. Like he loves working with those people mm-hmm. all the time, but they're just phenomenal. So yeah, I I read up on why Quentin Tarantino wanted to make this film, and it was supposed to be originally a kind of like a sequel to Django Unchained, but did he didn't do Django? Did he? Mm. That's Quentin. Keep going. I think I'm thinking of a different film. Yeah, <laughs> yeah this isn't the Seventh Samurai one. No, 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 I know that. Yeah, so originally it was supposed to be a sequel to it. Then he was like, oh, I can't see a world where the Django fits into this story that I'm making. Uh, and then the script got leaked. <laughs> so he had to really retweak it uh, a couple of times towards the end. Look, uh, probably can't hurt. Yeah, if it, especially if everyone knows what's going to happen. But in it's such a good story because it's just about these – eight people who get stuck in this one location. And the idea of it is Jennifer Jason Lee's character is she's been, she's like a outlaw. Mm -hmm. She's been captured by Kurt Russell's character and she's getting taken to be hung in a certain town, but they're on their way. There's a blizzard. They get caught in, it's called Minnie's haberdashery. That's where haberdashery. haberdashery. It's so good. No one uses it anymore. We spray it back. Yeah. (laughs) Haberdashery. Haberdashery. Love it. Yeah, so they all end up in this haberdashery because it's the, the, the blizzards coming in and um, all these different characters are inside as well and you slowly get like their stories, who they are, where they've been, who they like, who they dislike, but there's going to be a betrayal. Mm-hmm. There's going to be a betrayal because someone in there is trying to get her released, like it's part of her gang and 
it's just really well done. Like it just builds this tension up throughout the two hours. Cause about the two hour mark before the last 47 minutes is when kind of the climax hits yeah. and then it cuts because something happens. All this stuff happens. If you've seen it, cool, you know, but if you haven't, yeah. cause I know you haven't, so I don't kind of spoil it. Then it has a perception from a different characters. It cuts. Oh. And then you see from where the film starts from a different location, the lead up to it from their perspective. So you get who is actually portraying who oh, and that. all that. And that's the last 47 minutes. I'm not the biggest Tarantino fan yeah. overall. Yeah. But I love when he makes those story choices yeah. and he does them well. And, and like that part of his work, mm. he's really good at. So I'm really excited to actually watch that. Did he do character well? Because I know in some of his yeah. films, that's where he lets me down mm. is his characters. Like I don't care for them. So then I'm like, uh it's still a Tarantino Western, yep. so expect a lot of racism, a lot of um, oh, yeah. sexism. Mm-hmm. But he's trying to portray that timeline, like that time frame. Oh yeah, no, like that's like it's he's time. trying to go for the accurate portrayal of what mm-hmm. how women would have been treated, how different races yep. would have been treated. Because the central character is Samuel Jackson. Most of it's his perspective. You get other perspectives, obviously, as the time goes along through it. So yeah, expect a lot of swearing, a lot of. Yeah, it's pretty adult kind of themes in there, but oh, it's course. just done so well in, in classic Tarantino form. Yeah, I would recommend that. They apparently did what they broke this movie into four parts on Netflix and made it a mini series for a little while, but they've since scrapped that oh, and pulled okay. it from Netflix. So it's still on Netflix as the film as it is, but they added like 18 minutes to it at one point and then broke it up into four mini, mini episodes. Very weird, very strange. I don't know why they did that, but it was, yeah. Because the movie itself is broken into six chapters. Yes. Where it goes, chapter one, yep. this happens. It's very chapter Tarantino. Two. That's very Tarantino. So, yeah, without going into spoiler territory, I thought it, yeah, once it hits its climax, things get wild in, in the haberdashery. I'm excited. And then, yeah, worth, worth yeah. checking out. So I, I watched that basically because I wanted to see a bit more of Jennifer Jason Lee's work. I will, like, I'm genuinely, like, I, I will try and watch it relatively yeah. soon, if not this week probably one of my more favorite tarantino films i've seen lately yeah okay yeah better than once upon a time in hollywood Hollywood? yeah better than that kill bill was fine and reservoir dogs it's better than yeah yeah probably not for pulp fiction i've seen a few like i've seen pulp fiction i've seen both kill bills i've seen reservoir dogs yeah and i've seen um once upon a time in hollywood i I haven't seen jackie brown no, there's a few I haven't seen with Pam. That's Pam Grew. Yeah, yeah, it is, yeah. So, I, yeah, we'll flip back to you, what you've been watching. Now. I watched one for you. Um, well, not for you, but you told me to watch yeah. it. Um, I watched On the Rocks. I saw this um, in your list and I was like, I was so happy to yeah, see that one that you a, watched it. A 2021 starring Rashida Jones, Marlon Wayans and Bill Murray. And it's yeah. directed and written by Sophia Coppola. Yeah. And like, I love her work. Um, I think I've seen a few. So I, I've obviously seen uh, Lost in, Lost trans- in Translation. Translation. Um, I've seen The Bling Ring. I've mm-hmm. seen, uh, what's the one with all the girls in it? Not Women Talking. No. That's the new one with all the girls in it. No, you know the one. Um, oh my God. I'm really bad with titles. They, they leave my brain. I'd have to look that one up too. I know the one you're talking about. Anyway, yeah. everyone knows it. I've seen it. I enjoyed it. But anyway, it'll come back to me soon. <laughs> um, but yeah, this one follows Laura, who's Rashida Jones, and she's a young mother who reconnects with yeah. her larger than life playboy father, Felix, who's Bill Murray. Fantastic. Um, and they go on this adventure through New York because she mm. thinks that her marriage is falling apart. She thinks that um, her husband, played by Marlon Wayans, is cheating on her with like his assistant. Mm-hmm. Um, and she sort of has this idea that maybe he's not 
the most faithful because her dad is like a playboy. It comes from that and it's sort of this story of the two of them rekindling something because he's like, oh, no, we're going to find out if he is cheating on you. Yeah. And she sort of loves her dad, but I think she knows he's flawed, but she's his favourite. So the other siblings are like, oh, dad, whatever. Yeah. But, yeah, no, I enjoyed this one. Not as much as Lost in Translation. That's definitely my favourite Sophia Coppola film. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, if anyone at home is – it's got Apple TV Plus especially and isn't yeah, sure what to worth, watch. It's worth checking out. It's, it's worth it because Rashida Jones does a beautiful job. Bill yeah. Murray's great. Jenny Slate's in it. Oh, really? Well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's, she just plays. Um, and if anyone I can't think of Jenny Slate, she's in Parks in and Rec. Yeah. As Money, please. Money, please. She's um, John Ralphio's sister. sister. Yeah. What's her name? It's something interesting name too. Oh, God. Everything escapes me when I'm on this podcast. Yeah. The, the pressure. Tom Havis dates her for a while. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. but she's in it as this, um, you know, she's got kids that go to the same school. So before the kids all walk into preschool or whatever and the mothers have to stand there, she's always like telling Rashida this mm. big long story about what's going on in her life and Rashida's just like, oh, whatever. Um, but yeah, I found a little a little fact about this movie. Mm-hmm. So when Sophia Coppola was workshopping Lost in Translation with a bunch of actors, which they often do, yeah. it was when Rashida was in film school yeah. as a student and she'd sort of tested and played Charlotte in that. Oh, okay. Yeah, so that's when – so sort of from that, Sophia was like, one day I'm going to sort of put Rashida yeah, into something. Yeah, into something. Yeah. Okay. But I just thought it was a beautiful film. Yeah, it just reminded me of Lost in Translation a lot. Yeah. D- different to a degree, but, you know, still similarities and just Bill Murray. The Virgin <laughs> Suicides, that's the one. Oh, wow, how did that come back from that? Okay. Because that's my brain. I'm <laughs> yeah, like, just, it's there. It's locked in there. It's just like, got to get I can see the released. cover yeah. and I can't tell you what the words say. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I haven't seen that, so I'll have to watch it's, it. It's an interesting one, but it's very good. I'll add it to the list. I'll add it to the list. <laughs> um, all right, so my next one. The next one I went and watched. This isn't kind of a catch-up. I was just going to the movies anyway. Um, I went with a couple of friends from work. I went and saw Renfield, mm-hmm. which is uh, the one starring Nicholas Holt, uh, Aquafina, and Nick Cage. And it is fantastic. It's the Dracula one where it's his, um, his assistant. So it's basically having grown sick and tired of his centuries as Dracula's lackey, Renfield finds a new lease on life and maybe even redemption when he falls to the feisty, angry traffic cop Rebecca Quincy, played by Aquafina. So it's a comedy. It's an absolute comedy. It's really, really good. I was just asked to go along and see it. So I was like, absolutely, I'll come with. I'll see it. Um, they obviously asked Nick Cage to <laughs> be unleashed. Go ad lib, do whatever he wants as really? Dracula. Yeah. It, there's certain scenes where it's like, yeah, that wasn't on script. <laughs> That's probably just a Nick Cage ad lib. I'm keen to And they see left it. it in there. It's very, very well done. Because, yeah, Nicholas Holt does really well as like the, the bumbling sidekick mm-hmm. co-dependent character. Aquafina's fantastic in it. Like just playing her classic role of like comedy down to a degree where she, you'd be like, yeah, you know, like actually, yeah, feisty, but mm-hmm. then vulnerable as well. Yeah, it's really well done. It's worth checking out. It's It's got um John Ralphio as the villain. Oh my God. From um, Parks and Rec. Yes. He's in it and just a really good film. I remember seeing the trailer and I was like, if they pull this off, this is going to be fantastic. They did. So I'm yeah. really excited to hear that they did pull it off so that I can now go and watch it and enjoy it. Yeah, it's like if you've seen a lot of the Nick uh, Cage stuff lately where he's kind of just mm-hmm. been let loose, just be yourself, man. He, yeah, it's along those veins. It's very well done. It's very good. 
So I, yeah, saw that at the cinemas. I watched another thing that I didn't put on this list because I wasn't sure if I was going to um, out myself for watching this. Okay. But um, I've been seeing a lot of memes. Mm. So I was like, I'm just going to watch The Ultimatum. The Ultimatum. Mm. It's on Netflix. It's like one of those- um, Dating ones. Dating yeah. ones. But they're like, oh, it's all queer. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be a train wreck. wreck. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, I'll put one episode on. This is, mind you, everyone, I thought I had COVID. So I was like, I have time mm-hmm. to watch nothing. My brain is now dead. <laughs> So I thought, yeah, it's all there. I'll mm-hmm. just watch it. Yep. I watched eight episodes. Oh, you binged Hold it. on. That wasn't the end. What? They're like, now nah, we're doing this in parts. So oh, to no. watch the finale bits, yeah. I had to wait midweek. Um, <laughs> but at that point, I was like, well, I've watched all of this. I, I need to know. So I may as well watch it because yeah. I like to expand my horizons and I don't watch dating shows. Oh. Let this be known. I probably won't watch another one. See, um, I have one to talk about as well this week. The train wreck. Mm. Lesbians are when you put them together because um, <laughs> they say I love you like mm, second date. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah. There was one couple. That checks out. Well, <laughs> I say couple. Yeah. What happens is they go in there and they go, you know, say we're dating. Mm. Um, I want to marry you. You don't want to marry me. Cool. We have an ultimatum. Yeah. At the end of this, you either pick me, mm. pick oh. someone you've been in a trial marriage with for three weeks. Oh. Or we both leave here separately. Not with Jesus anyone. Christ, that is a wild premise. Yeah, right. So yeah. these two people, particularly, they get they get together yeah. in this trial marriage. By the end of the three weeks, they want to live together. Mm-hmm. One of them wants kids, and the other one's like, "Yes, yes, please, kids. I've shown you my bank statement, so you know how much <laughs> money I have, so we can oh do my IVF. God. Let's go and do this. Good lord, how long have they known each other for? Uh that was well. They had three weeks. That's not enough. What? <laughs> they lived together enough for three to weeks. have a coffee with someone in that time frame. Oh, they Jesus. did a lot. They did a lot in those three weeks. Um, and then at the end, one of them goes back to the mm. their original. Well, they have a couple weeks together with their original partners. Yeah. And then they have to make a decision. And um, the the one that you know they get down on the knee, they're like, "Will you marry me?" Mm. This woman says, "Yeah, I will." And then she goes to have a chat to the other girl yeah. that she's been with. Says it as well. I think end up the non-binary, so maybe not. But yeah. It goes back to the other one um, and then goes, look, I did say yes to this one, but also like I still would love to make it work with you. Okay. Oh, Maybe not ready for marriage. Terrible. Oh, yeah. God. I'll never watch it again, but I gave it a good go. So I know what at home. That's <laughs> You know what dating shows oh are like my now. God. The I mean, drama. I do, but and this is like the, heightened. It, it is. It's yeah. the, the, the added drama is insane. Yeah. Because um, me and my housemate watched one this week as well. That's not. On, I didn't. Here. I didn't write that down. We end up watching the f- first one and a half episodes of F Boy Australia. <laughs> <laughs> so we're both separate separate yep, ends of the spectrum, I but know. still still same thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's the one we're on binge with the host Abby Chatfield, and it was entertaining, and it sucked me right in. So it's a group of. There's three girls, right? And they've been screwed over by F Boys their whole life. So they're coming on the show to find someone that's. You know, someone for them, not an F-boy. But the thing is, the contestants, there's 24 of them. There's 12 F-boys and there's 12 nice guys. And they've got to narrow it down by having dates with these guys to work out who's the F-boy and who's the nice guy and then pick one at the end because there's money. There's money involved. If they end up picking an F-boy at the end in the final three, the F-boy keeps the money and leaves. If they pick the nice guy, they split it together. Oh, this is my hell. I know. And it's just drama because half the time you're not really seeing how like the girls interact with the guys. It's how the guys interact with the other guys. Yep. And like there are some derogative t- things being said by some of the F-boys. Very obvious they're F-boys. Yeah. Um, but then at the end of the first episode, one of the girls is like, 
She went on a date with one of the guys, clearly one of the nice guys, because he just falls for her like instantly. But he says like, <laughs> so she's like, oh, can you give me some inf- insider info with some of the guys in the in the group? And he's like, oh, no, bros before hoes. <laughs> <laughs> so she's just like, red flag. <laughs> so it ended up like I had a nice date besides that. So it goes, the first finale is between her, like him, like as the final two. Yeah. And one of this very clearly an F boy as the, some of the things that like he's been saying to everyone, he's just like, just shouldn't be there. Basically she picks the F boy to stay yeah. and the other one to go. And you're just like, Oh, <laughs> what kind are you of, doing? I kind of want to watch one episode now just to, you will get hooked. knowing what I've just watched mm-hmm. and how completely opposite it's, they are. It's very different. Cause all these women are like, mm, that's a, like everyone's su- super self-aware, but like, can't look inwards, if yeah. that makes sense. So everyone knows like all the like rubbish therapy lingo mm-hmm. type shit that we all talk. And Trigger. it's all like, you know, this is a this and this is a that and that's a this and this is that and you should deserve more and blah, blah, blah. Oh. And then they end up like in these train wreck situations. Yeah, it's, this it's is the wild. other end of the spectrum yeah. to that. So yeah. it's worth checking out. We probably will watch more or oh. not. I don't know yet. Anyway, uh, that, that wasn't even on my list of things I watched. I was just got stuck with. Yeah, I thought that. maybe maybe I'll announce it and then look at us. We're both trash. I know, um, we're both trying to hide our trash. <laughs> Next one I watched. Yep. Um, back to real cinema. Spider Man Across the Spider Verse. I went to the cinemas again to see another film um, with a mate of mine, Andy. We went and watched that. It was oh my god, so good. So if you're a fan of the first one, which, which I've now you, seen. you've now seen from last week. It just expands on the world. Um, literally across the Spider-Verse, so the, the multiverse is very strong in this one. Uh, it's very good. The The animation is, it like takes a step up from the first one. That's insane. Because each one... universe they go to has a distinct style of animation. So like when you go to Gwen Stacy's universe, it's kind of different. The art palette's very different. Yeah, it just takes a step up. It's so good. The, it's heartfelt story um, of him trying to find himself and you matter and stuff because he wants to be included in this spider people saving the multiverse kind of and you know things he doesn't really get included but he gets dragged along they really expand on Gwen Stacy's character a lot so the cold opening is basically like her where she's been in between one and two and yeah it's more like a drive of her story at least in the first kind of like hour or so and then towards the end, it kind of becomes a whole, wow, what's coming? Because it does the same thing as Fast X. It kind of like to be continued. Yeah. Because this was always supposed to be a one-part, two-part film. Always was. They just renamed what they were called. So, yeah, it really leaves on like a on a cliffhanger. Characters are everywhere in different universes. You can't find them. So, yeah, I'm very much looking forward to the third one because this was really, really good. I'd see this again in a heartbeat. I've seen a lot about it online. Well, like yeah. I've tried not to see stuff online, but obviously you still see headlines yeah. and stuff. And I'm 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 really keen to get onto it after just seeing the first one. Everyone's talking about it. Everyone loves it. Yeah. Um and like you said, like it seems like there's a lot of really deep mm. stuff and like embedded in the background yeah. of you know, a lot going on. Mm just within the frames that give you clues about all these characters and yeah. where they've been and what's going on and that kind of thing. So I'm keen to keen to watch it. I don't yeah. know if I'll catch it if you in can, the cinema. If you can, I would suggest doing it. If you can find time, this would be best be one. watch at a cinema. Okay. Yeah. I might. There's, there's not much else really coming out. So no. Besides Barbie and Oppenheimer in a month. Mm. So you've got time to watch it. I've got time. Yeah. 
I'm also trying to save my money. It's really not working. Um, <laughs> I keep buying things. Anyway. Well, I, you are going overseas, so yeah. yes, fair enough. Yeah. What about you? I watched Howl's Moving Castle. Oh, yeah. Um, and now, this, Studio this, Ghibli or Studio Ghibli? Uh, I said Ghibli. Yeah, I said Ghibli too. But I really don't know. Yeah. Um, my cousin Gemma got me watching this one because she's really into them. Um, mm. She actually has a tattoo from Howl's Moving Castle. And yeah. I always was like, hey, Gemma, which one Which one should I watch if I'm watching a Ghibli film? And a couple months back, she went, How's Moving Castle is my favourite. And I went, okay, eventually I'll get to it. And this week, I got to it. So it was done in 2004. Um, it yep. was written by um, Miyazaki and Diana. I can't, I'm not sure her last name because there's an English version of it, but then obviously yeah. she's not English. So, you know, they take on. Min Jones. Yeah, yep. like it's. Like not Australian, sorry, you know, more American yeah, Western American, name, which I'm yeah, like, oh, West, let's just Western talk about their them. name, yeah, you know, with their actual Japanese names. But yeah. she wrote the book that it was sort of loosely, loosely yeah, based okay. on. Yeah, um, I don't know. I don't think. Have you seen any Ghibli films? I've literally not seen a single one. And this is what I was looking up just before we started. So I have only seen, um, <laughs> kind of like the new versions of like um, Ghibli films, which is the um, the ones like. Call Me By Your Name and Weathering With You, which is not Ghibli. They're kind of a new kind of series of um Yeah, they're movies. different. They're not Ghibli at all, no. but they're like the new pinnacle of like yeah, yeah. Japanese animation. I haven't seen them. Look, to be honest, everyone listening at home, I'm not really an anime girly at all, as the kids say now. <laughs> not That's not me. Um, mostly because the girls at school really got into the real like messed yeah. up like Oran host club or whatever it's called where there's like twin cest and they're all like oh. in love and I'm like oh I can yeah there's a lot of anything like, worse I've got crunchy roles so I can tell you there's a lot of um well I questionable get, anime. I get to see at work all the creepy creepy old men that like to touch my arm tell me that they love like the lesbian ones and stuff so it's really turned me well off mm. anime but um I've seen a couple I've seen I've seen this one now. I watched Kiki's Delivery Service and I've seen Totoro. Yep. This one's different to those two in yeah, that okay. it's um it's got darker themes. Yep. I didn't love it as much, but that's me not being a big fan and I don't want people to hear that and be like, "Oh, it wasn't good." No, it was brilliant. Yeah, it's just just not really comparative. my thing. Also, in the start of it, Hal looks very much like the Goblin King from oh. You know, David Bowie in Labyrinth? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, very much that. Okay. I messaged my cousin. I was like, um, why does he look like that? And then she told me something hilarious that now I'm saying it out loud, I probably shouldn't say on here just in case she doesn't want everyone to know. Yeah. Well, um, yep. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so it's sort of the story of Sophie, who's a sort of shy young woman. Yeah. And um, she's cursed by an old spiteful witch mm-hmm. and she gets turned into an old lady mm-hmm. and her only chance of breaking the spell is to team up with Hal, who's this like sort of warlock wizard type mm. that sort of blows through town every now and then everyone goes, stay away from him. He's a wizard. It's magic. Stay yep. away from it. Um, and she finds him in his literal walking castle and it's sort of a scrap heap junkyard castle. So imagine like steampunk vibe, yep. that kind of castle. So she goes to him, stays in his castle, hangs out with his sort of friends, some of them human, some of them not human. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's sort of their story of him – her wanting to sort of break the spell. There's people that are after her and him. Yeah, okay. Um, that kind of thing. There's also a war going on in it's the quite midst of it. In depth, I guess. Yeah, it's lot. real weird. Like, yeah. and I mean weird in that, like, I was not sure what was happening at the time okay. I was watching it. <laughs> um, yeah, like, ran- what appears to be randomly, there's like this war going on, and how transforms into this whatever thing. He can kind of transform a lot. He's, so sometimes he'll change wizard, his appearance. Right? Yeah. Sometimes he'll be like part like eagle bird thing. I don't yeah, know. okay. There's all sorts of stuff going on. Um, and he'll 
go through different sort of dimensions end up fighting in mm. this war and I was like yeah, okay. what like why is Miyazaki telling this war story I was really confused yeah okay um like it make like it not confusing that it doesn't make sense of the story but I was just like why is this guy like wanting to tell this story so I went and had a look into it on Wikipedia so mm. it could be all incorrect but this is not an essay <laughs> so I didn't care everyone at home um and sort of he was influenced by the opposition to the United States invasion of Iraq in 2003. Yeah. So that's why it has a lot of anti-war themes. And Miyazaki had stated that he had a great deal of rage about the war, which is sort of why he explores that sort of theme of a war going on in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and he also explores the theme of old age with her becoming this old woman. But for her, she's like, this suits me fine because I am kind of an old woman anyway. Yeah. So yep. it was that kind of thing. And he wanted to convey that... Um, life is worth living no matter how old you are. Yeah, okay. Um, That's kind of sweet. So, yeah, he did that and it was sort of different to the book that it was based on, yeah. which focuses more on challenging class and gender norms mm. where the film's sort of like focusing on love, personal loyalty, destruction of war because she falls in love with yeah. Hal, obviously, yeah. um, which is not great when he's off fighting wars mm-hmm. and there's evil witches and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But, yeah, I enjoyed it. Keen to watch a couple other Miyazaki films. I was about to say, we should do a – a Ghibli deep mm-hmm. dive for one of our episodes because yeah. I'd love to go through all of them they're, in a row and kind of comment on them. They're beautiful films, don't get me wrong. Yeah. It's just not stuff that I'm intrinsically drawn to. Animation's not, as a style, it's, it's, not, not, something it's not something that I yeah. am driven to in the same way as I am live action. Yeah, I can understand that. That's but just, that's, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's just fine. not the stuff that I sort of fall in love with in the same way. I think I just kind of, it's the same with me, I guess. Um, I just never got around to watching these. It's just kind of, I'm not avoiding them. It's just one of those things where it's like, I kind of want to watch them all at once. So it's, I've got to dedicate a lot of time to it. So I'd love to do an episode on it because then I actually have a reason to watch literally all of them. Mm. And I want to watch them in order of release. Yeah, so, that'd, that'd be a cool idea. I just watch them. Yeah, yeah. I know then pickpocket times of when they come out, but I'd, I'd like to watch from when they started coming out to watch that development of maybe the animation styles or the storylines involved. So, yeah, I, I, I've been meaning to get to this. It's just dedicating time to watch. I think there's like 14 of them there's or something. Now. Yeah, there's quite a few. So if we do an episode, I'd be watching a lot of films. My favourite one's Totoro, which is about these kids that sort of move into this house that's backs onto a forest. Yeah. And there's all these little forest creatures. And there's a Totoro bunch, right? yeah. is one that lives in this giant tree. Yeah, okay. And I always wanted to live in a tree. <laughs> yeah, you and love living in tree houses. So. Adorable, whimsical stories. That was my favourite because... Yeah, okay. But. Cool. All right, we'll go into my next film that I watched this week. Mm-hmm. So I watched um, Zodiac. I have not seen it. From 20, 2007. So I do want to watch it. Yeah, it's... Um, it's directed by David Fincher mm-hmm. and it stars Jake Gyllenhaal, Mark Ruffalo and Robert Downey Jr. Um, it's basically about the investigation of the, sto- uh, the Zodiac Killer. It's a serial killer who terrified the San Francisco Bay Area for a number of years mm-hmm. actually, um, taunting police with his ciphers and letters. Mm-hmm. Uh, the case becomes an obsession for the three men as their lives and careers are built and destroyed by the endless trail of clues. So I've been meaning to watch this one for quite a while. I've added it to my Netflix list, God, like one or two years ago. The reason why is because it's another long film, just like Hateful Eight. It's like two hours 40 as well. So I was like, ah, I've got to dedicate three hours to this. So I finally sat down and watched it the other night. 
It starts off really well. Mm-hmm. It starts off really interesting with a couple of the murders and stuff that happened. And then, you know, you start to get introduced to the three main characters. Um, Jake Gyllenhaal plays uh, the character of the cartoonist that the movie is based on, the book of the character. Yeah. Very weird. But, yeah, so he's he's basically self-fulfilling. And, yeah, he starts to work out the clues and that and and the ciphers and stuff. And they kind of all at some point, all three of those characters, Mark Ruffalo plays the detective, Rob Downey Jr. plays a different news journalist. In the same um, uh, room as Jake Gyllenhaal's character, and at different points in the movie, the three of them get obsessed with the case. So the first one's like Rob Downey Jr. because he's getting the um, the ciphers and stuff for like basically written to him. He's interacting with the Zodiac killer because he's you know mentioning him a few times. They try to find out where he is, who he is, and stuff like that. Gets involved with the police case and kind of hinders it at one point, but he doesn't mean to. He's just trying to find out more, and that's when Mark Ruffalo kind of gets really obsessed with it just from a detective point of view. And then it kind of gets to a point where they're not really getting any letters later because it goes on for ages, it goes on for years after the first Mm -hmm. couple of murders. There's a big, big gap between then. So it kind of becomes a cold case and that's when kind of Mark Ruffalo's character kind of loses himself and kind of like just doesn't obsess with it anymore. And then it moves on to Jake Gyllenhaal's character where he's like, he's been following it the whole time since day one. He's like, I'm going to write a book about it. Like I know about like the codes and stuff he used and why he used them. He kind of, I think he kind of understands the killer and why is that? So then he gets involved in it and gets really obsessed. I mean, he kind of breaks up his own marriage because of it. Whether that's true or not in the real life, I don't know, but it happens on screen for a bit of drama. Makes a good story. Yeah. There's like one scene in particular that really kind of stood out to me. It's when he's going to go see one of the, not so much a suspect, but like a lead um, about how he knew maybe one of the, people who could be the killer it's so this project projectionist at like a cinema or something and jake gyllenhaal's character is like explaining being like we've got like the handwriting this is the most accurate handwriting on these posters because he was really into films and stuff um to who the zodiac killer is and then the guy who he's talking to just turns to him and goes oh i do the posters that's my handwriting and then jake gyllenhaal just looks at him and goes mm, okay <laughs> like just like looks at him and then the guy's like, "Oh, so you want to? You're here to find out about the movie reels and stuff. They're just down in my basement." And he just turns the light Ooh. on. And then there's a line that was in one of the original ciphers about basements. Yeah. And then he just goes, "There's not many basements in California. No, They're not needed." Not. And then the guy goes, "Well, I've got one." <laughs> and oh. he starts walking down in the basement. Jake Gyllenhaal goes down and follows him. Jake. It's this like creepy AF um, basement. And the way it's filmed and the way it's kind of like showcases this character who, I mean, at this point you're guessing it's him or not. If he's the actual killer himself and he's created the third character, might not be. He walks, like it's like the lights are on in this hallway down in the basement, but he goes around a corner that's completely veiled in darkness. And he talks to him, he says some lines to him, turns the light on and it's like creepy, like back and forth. Jake Gyllenhaal doesn't feel comfortable. So he starts backing out of the room and the other character just turns the light off and then like Jake Gyllenhaal just runs upstairs and tries to get out of the yeah. door. Sort of silence of the lambs. Kind of, yeah. And then that character comes up the stairs and the way this mirror is positioned is it looks like the character comes up and just faces this uh, Jake Gyllenhaal from behind and 
He turns around really quickly, but he's not like there. He's like around yeah, the corner. Yeah. He's like, it's locked. And the character just comes up really close to him, unlocks the door right next to him. And then Jake runs out and because it's raining, he just yeah. runs for it to, towards his car. <laughs> Enjoy your evening. <laughs> this is like really well oh done. It's God. so well done and creepy. Turns out he's not. It's no. just the way that the atmosphere was built for that scene. And yeah. I'm going to find this movie and watch it tonight. That sounds right up my alley. Yeah. It's interesting. It was, yeah. Have you seen Mindhunter on Netflix? I've only watched the first episode. Seriously. It's brilliant. Yeah. And if you like Zodiac, I feel like it's going to be in the same vein. I did. So Um, give it a watch. Check it out. It's really good. I liked season two as well. People didn't like season two as much because it's less case of the week type in different investigating different serial killers and more like one there's a longer one, one yeah and it's more into the characters personal lives and how the killers that they're investigating and stuff like that has threads to their personal life yeah, okay. that they're not sharing with each other kind of thing mm-hmm. um so they do a lot of character work in it but i thought it was really good but now i want to watch zodiac yeah it's on yeah. netflix if you want to catch it it's on netflix okay i yeah. genuinely will um yeah, I, I enjoyed it yeah, I watched Citizen Kane finally. Yay. She went through film school and didn't see Citizen Kane. Yeah, That's you know surprising. why? Because they didn't actually make us watch a lot of films. Much. It doesn't much sound much. like they did actually. They, they were like, you watch it in your own time if you want to see it. But Yeah, and then they wouldn't tell you. My biggest gripe with it is they'd be like, you have to watch all these films. You have to watch all these films. You should watch all of the cinema. Yeah. I'm like, okay, I was born young. It's 100 years before me. There's a lot to get through. And often they wouldn't go watch this film because it's this and it'll make you feel this and mm. blah, blah, blah. My, one of my lectures was brilliant. She would tell us about some of them. Obviously, you couldn't tell us about all of them. Mm. But, yeah, she would sort of, this is why you need to watch this film. And and, yeah. and that's why it matters. And there's, you know, in all of my notebooks, I would just have little margins with a bunch of films written in it that I had it's, to. It's come up in conversation. I need yeah, to see it. Yeah. I need to watch it. But, yeah, Citizen Kane was one I just, I never got around to it. I knew I should watch it because it's arguably the best film ever made and all mm. of that, that jazz that you hear all the time. But. No one, until sort of you'd seen it recently, yeah, had sat down and said to me, "It's worth watch, watch it, it for it, these what, yeah. reasons." You, I know you'll appreciate it. Yeah, it's just kind of been like, oh yeah, that's just what I have to get to. Mm. Um, look, was I, this week the best week for me to watch Citizen Kane? No, it wasn't. I was very distracted. But how did you I can find hear it? You anyway, your beard. <laughs> oh, sorry, out. really? <laughs> yeah. Oh no, sorry. Everyone at home just said <laughs> that was my beard, beard scratching. Um, yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. And it's one that I do want to go back and, and rewatch. Yeah. Yep. I just found it incredible that they did that in like 1940. 1940. Yeah. It's so beautiful. Yep. And even the story itself isn't told in a linear, simple fashion no. either. It's, just, it's, it's a beautiful film mm-hmm. in how they, they tell the story. So basically it's an Orson Welles film. He'd done War of the Worlds previously. So if anyone's kind of familiar with that, mm-hmm. this is the man making this film um, and he co-wrote it with Herman Mankiewicz and there's a film on Netflix, Mank, that's Mank. about that. Um, but also some guy named John Houseman also mm-hmm. helped. He was uncredited. I think that's important to mention good old John who worked on that and never got any credit. Um, I didn't know that. A lot, I thought it was just Mankiewicz and him. We'll never know. Yeah, it was on IMDb. So okay. they've started doing uncredited stuff right, on there okay. now. Yeah. So I still don't know that story, but basically the story Citizen Kane follows the death of a publishing tycoon, Charles Foster Kane, mm. and reporters are scrambling to uncover the meaning of his final utterance, Rosebud. Mm-hmm. That's the story. It sounds kind of basic and boring. It's not. 
like I get it, guys. It's black and white. It's an old film. It sounds kind of like you're like, all right, whatever. But the mm. way it's told, yeah, is really well done. And just all the little characters that it goes through, the cinematography yeah. is just beautiful. Like, look, if you don't want to watch an old black and white film, guys, don't watch this one. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. You're not going to enjoy it. But if it. you appreciate cinema in any way, I'll kind of go, oh, yeah, I'm going to expand my cinematography <laughs> views. Yeah, 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 filmography or whatever. That's the one, filmography. Yep. Um, check this out because knowing full well where the history of Hollywood came from, this is one of the pinnacle movies yeah. from that timeline. Just the, yeah, the cinematography, the visuals, the, the makeup and the aesthetics yeah. for the fact that they get him aging throughout the film is really well done. It's flawless. Also, it's important to watch these films to understand when they reference them later in films. Like my first introduction to the utterance of Rosebud mm. was not Citizen Kane. It was Over the Hedge. Actually. Oh, really? Mine was The Simpsons. Yeah, so in Over the Hedge, <laughs> which I watched as a kid, one of the um, opossums likes to fake his, fake his death, as they do. Yeah, yeah. And there's one scene where he just goes, Rose. <laughs> so okay. to understand cinema, guys, yeah. and get those little jokes, watch it's, it's, this one. Yeah, it's it's referenced quite a bit, that Rosebud, because, mm. yeah, The Simpsons do an entire episode based on Citizen Kane, basically. They do Mr. Burns' upbringing as if he is <laughs> Kane. <laughs> the whole thing with the, um, was it the ski? The sled. The sled. <laughs> <laughs> And they're like, oh, would you rather stay here and fulfill a life with your uh, your poor parents or go live with a wealthy wealthy businessman? And he just quickly gets in the car and goes, let's roll. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but, yeah, no, guys, um, I won't go into it too much because it'll, it'll get preachy, but yeah. if you do appreciate cinema and you haven't watched this one yet, yeah. at some point, do watch it because yeah. unlike me who took forever, it is definitely worth well it took it took a, a lot of people a lot of time i mean it was only popular 20 years later nearly yeah they re-released it yeah because at the time it, it was a bit of a box office flop in the 40s it's a then, big film for the 40s yeah it was yeah yeah it was a big undertaking especially because the you know world wars and stuff probably not a lot of people were well it was before the second seeds. world war so that's yeah. why it kind of probably took a in delay and then eventually when everything's okay time. yeah release it again what else did you watch this week, Shannon? Tell us. I will tell you because I've still got a couple more films to go. Lot. I've still got like three or four. We might have to cut some. We'll see how we go. I'll just kind of Power through. punch through a few, I think, because uh, we're running out of time. The next one was The Harder They Fall. So this is um, – I saw this kind of flick through Netflix a few times, added to the list. It's a black cowboy outlaw movie. Oh, I haven't really. Yeah, no it's idea um, starring Jonathan Majors, Idris Elba, Regina King, Zazie Beetz, um, Delroy Lindo, Danielle Deadweiler, and Lakeith Stanfield. It's a great cast. Huge cast. And it's directed by James Samuel, which is in his directorial debut, actually. It's about a character who is gunning for a rent, revenge. Outlaw Nate Love, who's played by Jonathan Majors, saddled up, saddles up with his gang to take down enemy Rufus Buck, which is played by Idris Elba. Um, he is a ruthless ca- crime boss who just got sprung from prison. Nice. So very much a, a black uh, movie. Mm-hmm. Um, the music, the themes, all black. Uh, it's really funny because like three quarters of the way through the film, they have to rob a bank to get some money to kind of leverage the fact that they need to get into this town where he is. And it's like, oh, you have to rob a bank from, um, it's like Mayfair City. It's a white town. <laughs> and then it cuts to Mayfair City. And not only are all the buildings painted white, the sand that is brought in is white. And then it just cuts with the name of the town over the top. And then in brackets underneath, 
It's a white town. Oh my God, you've sold me. I need to watch this film. <laughs> it's very good. The acting's phenomenal. The story I won't go into too much, but something happens at the start when Nate Love's character is really young. Uh, his parents are killed by Rufus Buck mm-hmm. and then it cuts to 20 years later. And so he's on a revenge kind of kick to find Rufus and kill him in some way or form. So, yeah, it's very much a revenge kind of cowboy movie. I'm I'm going to watch it. It's really good. Really, really good. 2021, so it was during the COVID kind of period. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it was just a Netflix movie. They they kind of backed it and stuff. I, I feel like not many people were talking about it. No, enough. I've never really heard Especially about it. Especially that, that star-studded cast. Oh, wonder why it was during COVID pandemic and yeah. it was a black film. There you go. Topical. Mm, topical. Yeah. Speaking of black cinema, I <laughs> watched – no, it works. I watched yeah. The Watermelon Woman. Yeah, which, segue. Yeah, yeah, um, good. You probably never heard of. I watched it because it's always sort of been one that I've been aware of, mm-hmm. never watched it. The reason it was sort of brought back to my attention, I was watching Yellow Jackets. Yes. Yeah. And it's in it's when Taisa first comes to Van's store. Yeah. And um, Van hands some chick who's in the shop yeah. this film and she goes, this is landmark, queer girl cinema. It's so good. You've got to watch it. And mm-hmm. I was like, I haven't seen it. it. Ne- yeah, I watch haven't it watched it. Anyway, we're going to plug it. It's yep. Pride Month. So I watched it. It was in 1996. Mm-hmm. Um. It stars Cheryl Dunyer, yeah. um, Guinevere Penner, and Valerie Walker. Mm-hmm. Um, it was written by Cheryl as well. Um, and Douglas McKeon did a few bits in it. Yeah, okay. Um, and it was directed as well by Cheryl. She sort of did everything in it. And it's a film that follows Cheryl, named after the writer-director, mm-hmm. um, a young black lesbian filmmaker who probes into the life of this character, the watermelon woman, mm. a 1930s black actress who played like the mammy stereotypes. And um, it's oh, it's incredible. Like you, truly, if you can find it, watch it. Because yeah. the way it's shot is just, it's interesting. Mm. Um, but I really dug it. I was like, sort of wasn't sure about some of the stuff I watched this week on my list. And I got to this one and I was like, yeah, this is it. It's very sort of 90s style. She mm. also works in a video store. So it felt very, very much it's like samey, my life. Samey, yeah. Because that's where I'd um, work if I could. Yeah. So, yeah, she's working there. Yeah. She follows this stuff. So, it's it's part sort of very grungy 90s Empire Records. Not quite, but, you know, that kind uh, of feel. I know the feel. Of yep. like. Yep. But then it also cuts to what feels like grainy home video. We're shooting a documentary. Oh, okay. And it cuts in and, in and out of that. Yeah. Yep. Sort of like you were talking about Quentin Tarantino where they have sort of chapters and parts. They'll yep. have a lot of that. title cards mm-hmm. that sort of move the story along. Yeah. So she's making a documentary mm. about this character that she sees in a bunch of films that didn't have a, like she wasn't named as her actress. She was just named as the watermelon woman. And yep. she sort of was like curious about it in old cinema. She's a cinema, cinema file, that kind of thing. Yeah. Or cinephile, sorry. It goes into that kind of story, but then it's also like just her general life and with her friend who works there and, mm. and their friends and, and the people that they're, they're dating and how messy it is and, you know, that kind of thing. And she's getting deeper and deeper and deeper into just who this character was and she'll meet people in her life. And it's just sort of quintessential cinema lover, mm-hmm. 90s film, also queer film. Yeah. And then at the end, because I wasn't sure while I was watching it, I was like, is this watermelon woman real? Mm. Like, so you looked it up? I looked it up. That's my watch again. Um, and there was a quote at the very end of the film and it says, sometimes you have to create your own history. The watermelon woman is fiction. Cheryl Dunye in 1996. So yeah, the whole okay. thing, she just, fictionalized yeah, all right. because she'd seen these characters, yeah. couldn't find anything on them mm-hmm. and just went, well, I'm just going to tell my own story about how there is no story 
written for us. Yeah, oh, okay. Yeah. Um, it's kind of political in that sense, but it, it doesn't come across as a, like a political yeah. film. Like nothing in it is like... It's not really obviously overtly making a statement. No, we're not going to hit you over the head yeah. with it. It's not going to be like super like, you know, queer, preachy. preachy. Mm. It's mm. not going to be super black preachy. It's not going to be super like our history has been erased preachy. Mm. It's just like, this is my perspective of the world and I'm going to make a really cool film yeah, about okay. it. I like that. I like yeah. that a lot. I um I found this one and a, a tip to anyone who's super into cinema. If you've got a local library, like I know we do in this area. Yeah, sign but if up, you have one, yeah. Yeah. It probably probably works if you're not sort of based where we are regionally, but get into your local library, especially in Australia. Usually they have this service called Canopy. Mm -hmm. You can rent like 10 films a month on it. You get credits. And they have a lot of like really early cinema. Like that's where I watched um, Citizen Kane. That's where I watched this one. And this one was like a print that UCLA Mm. as a like film, like the film department had like restored in a way and then put it up for people to watch. Okay. So it's like, it's official, but it's not official. You know what I mean? Like they've redone it so that people can see this film that yeah. maybe is hard to find now. So that's a tip if you want to get into some of these like harder to watch films. I might have to do that myself. Yeah. Because there's a few that I'm like uh, struggling to find from early days. Yeah. They have a lot of early cinema, yeah. like stuff I've never heard of. Um, also like a lot of um, like world cinema, so stuff that's not English language. Mm-hmm. Um, some Australian stuff, yep. a bunch of stuff and it's free. So might as well. Why not? Yeah, why not? Yeah. Okay, interesting. So my next one, mm-hmm. it's a big one. Mm-hmm. I watched Scarface. I started watching this about maybe a year or two ago yep. because I'm a big Natasha Leone fan and that was sort of her early stuff. She watched yeah. a, lot of, a lot of those films and I'm like, oh, I should watch them, Goodfellas. I got like maybe 10 minutes in and I wasn't in the mood and I went, you gotta we're be saving this. this for later. So yeah. It's been on my to watch list. I was honestly going to get to it this week at some yeah. point. But just not enough time. It was another long one. So mm. I watched a, a few long ones. This is why they've been on my list Shannon for Shannon did well. This one was another two hours, 40-minute film. So 1983, starring Al Pacino, Stephen Bauer, and Michelle Pfeiffer, mm-hmm. uh, directed by Brian and Dee Palmer. Um, yeah, it's a wild wild story about Tony Montana who wants to stake his claim on the drug trade in Miami. So it's very, very violent. Very gritty, like that very gritty kind of um, what he needs to do to kind of rise through the ranks um, to become the actual drug lord that he eventually is, Tony Montana. He's not a good person. He's not a good person at any point in the film. He's just, it just shows what he's willing to do to get what he wants. And he really, really wants to kind of, the biggest part is he wants the freedom of America and what it's he's able to do with mm-hmm. that freedom. And this showcases what he can. And... Obviously, towards the end, it shows us his demise because of his his own ego because um, he has shortcomings. He's very short-tempered. He doesn't like things that he perceives of his own that people kind of take because, yeah. And then towards the end, he kind of doesn't have a friend left because of what he does. When was this one made? Was it like 70s, 80s? 1983 it came out. I love these kind of films and I haven't watched a lot of them, granted, but I love mm. these kind of films. I love these kind of characters mm. um, that men – are allowed to play where they're these super flawed characters like women are slowly getting there sometimes with some characters but just you're allowed to have these characters these men are they're not good people Mm. we know they're not good people but we're still able to root for them because it's a story protagonist yeah it's great i love it yeah one of michelle pfeiffer's first films Mm -hmm. um, she's amazing Apparently, uh, originally, I think it was the director and Al Pacino weren't rooting for her to be in it because they were like oh she's unknown she's we need someone maybe bigger Mm -hmm. 
And they stuck stuck to the guns and kept her in there. And she does a really good job. She she's originally the she's a character. Uh, she's basically married to one of the characters that Tony Montana ends up working for. They always are like the boss, yep. the mob boss's partner. And then he works his way up the ranks, kind of flirts with her from day one, yep. tries to get her in. She keeps pushing him away the whole time, but then he obviously gets the power. He woos her. And it kind of, there's a shift in balance in terms of the power, and then she marries him. Oh, I didn't see that one coming. In, yeah, shocker. And then obviously when he finally has his demise, she leaves towards the end. But I mean, look. Yeah. There's a lot to it. It's a three-hour movie. If you're going to yeah. be with gangsters, you've got to be with the ones at the top. Exactly right, yeah. Yeah, He. it's a phenomenal job in acting. Like Al Pacino does really, really well as portraying this like really heavy-handed kind of gangster character constantly swearing. I think there's an F-bomb drip, like, dropped like every oh. kind of like third sentence. I only watched like 10 minutes over there. And there was a lot. There was a lot. So a lot of adult themes. A lot of violence actually it's too. Okay, From 1983, it was – Really violent. I'm five foot two, but I am an adult now. You are. I can yes, watch this one. You can watch this one. This yeah. R18. Just make sure you've got your uh, driver's license okay. ready. Um, there's a whole scene with a chainsaw. And <laughs> okay, don't tell me. I'm going to go watch it. Yeah, okay. I haven't heard yeah, about the chainsaw yet. Yeah, well, it's early, so you, you weren't far off. Wild, because it's been out for a long time. <laughs> it's been 83. Well, I, this is the first time I'm seeing it as well. A lot, Like I said, a lot of these films that I've kind of have been on my I'll watch it later list is because of the, the runtime. Yeah, it feels like a chore. Yeah, well, I and just, I think this idea of like these are the greatest films ever made, blah blah blah, or you know, were prolific films. It feels like homework because people make yeah. you feel guilty for having not seen them, and it's like, guys, come on, mm. I was born late. What do you want from me? Yeah, it's like it's, a lot it's of like when I watched Silence of the Lambs last week. Not besides you, I had so many people at work being like, "Oh my god!" Yeah. I was like, "Look, give me time. I'll see everything eventually." It is like <laughs> like that. Yeah. Especially with this podcast. And now we're making everyone at home feel guilty and I yeah, love it. Yeah, you need to watch Scarface. You can watch Scarface, everyone. Watch Scarface. Myself included, but you I watched watch that it. on Netflix. Mm, yeah, it's been it's on, on my ne- list for yeah. three years. <laughs> the added it's still watch there, list, yeah. yeah. I never look at that. Yeah, it's, um, it's hopeful. Yeah, it's just a good cast. It's really worth, worth checking out. I'm going to get into the last thing that I watched. Yeah. And I watched this last night. Yep. I watched The Severance Pilot. Now, Carl at yes. work has been telling me to watch this for bloody ever. <laughs> and I have been meaning to watch it. Don't get me wrong. Um, I've got four days left of Apple TV Plus, so I am getting on it, guys. You're going to um, make sure you watch all of it. Yeah. I, it's interesting. I didn't realize this. So it's created by this guy named Dan Erickson. Mm-hmm. It's fine. Whatever. It's directed by Ben Stiller a lot. I saw and that, And Alfie yeah. McArdle, who I don't know who she is and I should look it up. I think it's a she. Yep. Anyway, um, do you know sort of the gist of Severance? Um, I'll tell only only what you told me earlier. So yeah. I haven't really looked into much of this, but I want to see it because I like Adam Scott. So Mark is... Played by Adam Scott, and he leads a team of office workers whose memories have been surgically divided between their work life and their personal lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and when a mysterious colleague appears outside of work, it begins a journey to discover the truth about their jobs. Now, whatever, who cares? I've written stuff down for Shannon. I'm going <laughs> to read it out. Whether he cuts this bit out or not, we'll see. Cause it's a bit long. That's fine. But um, I still got time. I sort of wrote out the first couple minutes mm. of it, like the dialogue, and then I just put some prose in there. Mm. Um, I'm going to read it to you. Okay, please. I was just captivated. So the camera's on the ceiling. It's a bird's eye view. Yep. And it opens with a lady laying flat on her desk in a conference room, mm-hmm. fully clothed in office attire. Yep. A man's voice from nowhere asks, who are you? Nothing. The voice asks again, who are you? Mm. She stirs. A speaker on the desk crackles. Hello, she asks. The speaker crackles and a voice says, I'm sorry, I got ahead of myself. Hi there, you on the table. 
I wonder if you'd mind taking a brief survey. Who is that? The lady asks. Five questions. Now, I know you're sleepy, but I'll just bet it'll make you feel right as rain. She looks around. Who's speaking? And then she stumbles off the desk and makes her way to a door. It's locked. She rattles it. Hey, open the door. She can't get in. She walks around the room. She's trying to see for the first time what's going on. She's sort of foggy. She's been out of it. And then a voice says, I'd be just thrilled to chat once we've run the survey. Shall we begin with question one? She's antsy. She's pacing the room. She's sort of yelling, I'm not taking the survey. And the voice continues. Continues. Shall we begin with question one? She's mad. She's back at the door. Hey, let me out of here. Open the door, etc. And then she's just exhausted. She falls to the ground and she turns to the speaker. Hey. And it crackles. The man's voice. Hello. The woman asks five questions. And the speaker, the voice says five questions. She goes, what do I get at the end? Depends on your answers. Defeated. She goes, okay, great. Now to start, who are you? But she can't answer. She's confused and concerned, but the voice quickly moves on, happy for her answer to be unknown. So he just goes, unknown, cool. And then he goes, in which state or question, in which US state or territory were you born? She can't answer that one. And so she stumbles and answer and, and he goes, okay, please state a US state or territory. And she goes, I don't know, Delaware. And he moves on, ignoring her questions about what the hell's going on. And he goes, question four, what's Mr. Egan's favorite breakfast? Again, she's confused. She asks, what's it got to do with anything? And he goes, okay, unknown, question five. And as a reminder, this is the final question. To the best of your memory, what is or was the color of your mother's eyes? She can't answer it. And it greatly upsets her. Her eyes are welling up. She doesn't know what's going on. And she asks what the hell he did to her. And the door opens. Adam Scott recites all of her answers or lack thereof and goes, that's a perfect score. Oh, okay. And then sort of it goes yeah. from there. He takes her around. She's like, what's going on? Mm. That kind of thing. Eventually she sits down with a video of herself being mm. like, we've chosen to do this, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, and that's how it – okay. That's the opening. Yeah. And you're just like, holy like, – What? What? It captivated you straight away. Yeah. That sounded really good. The the visuals of it are really cool. Like they're mm. in what I feel. Like it's it's set modern times, but it feels like sort of old 90s, mm. 2000 computer room type I've seen vibes. the aesthetics. Like yeah. that's what it is. Yeah, it's just fascinating. Okay. And I that, might have to check this out because I've yeah. been wanting to, but that kind of hook for the op- yeah. cold opening. I watched that and that's I was really like, cool. Oh, what is this? And yeah. knowing the premise of at least the first episode as well. Yeah. That's going to be really cool. It's I'm I'm excited to get into it. I've got a couple yeah. days and I'm going to You're going to watch all of it? Yeah. <laughs> that was the last thing I watched this week. Okay. I'll breeze through the last um, three things I watched. <laughs> you watched so much. Oh, my God. Uh, I watched Creed 3 last night. So this is the 2023 uh, third movie in the Storm of the Creed series starring Michael B. Jordan, Tessa Thompson, and this is also Jonathan Majors. Mm-hmm. So I had Jonathan Majors week this week. Sometimes it's like that. It is, yeah. Um, this is also directed by Michael B. Jordan in his directorial debut. Nice. So I've got a question for you. Mm-hmm. Do you think it is helpful or hinder when an actor directs his own movie? I think it depends on, on who you are and your mm-hmm. process. Because I was always young and naive mm-hmm. and I was always like, why are actors directing things? Mm. They're actors. Let me direct things. What's going on? That's and exactly then, right. Would you, wouldn't you want someone to yeah? And then the separate more those two I roles. Heard about people like you know followed actors who were then directing and they explained sort of the process and you go these guys have been 
doing it longer than anyone. Yeah. Especially the ones that worked as, as children. So they know the industry, they know the lingo, they know everything yeah. that goes on around them. But they, you know, if they have been there for a long time, but they also know how to talk to actors, which yeah. is interesting. I was listening to a podcast, surprise, surprise, and Tasha Leon was talking about it. <laughs> but she was talking about how she like directs actors and stuff and the magic of knowing how to gently talk to them that doesn't pull them out of this third reality she calls it which is kind of like their acting sphere because yeah. to them it is a reality but it's not them so it's trying to talk to them without pulling them away out of that so yep. i think if you know what you're doing you're ready for that challenge i think it can really work but i think it just comes down to the people like with michael b jordan and this it's like well he obviously understands the creed character in the it. world entirely so yeah that would make sense but it'd be interesting to hear from him like now that he's done it, mm. was I ready for that? Would it have been easier if it wasn't yeah. me? It could be on the it's um, a whole bunch special of features of the DVD, maybe. Yeah, might be worth checking out. I think it's yeah. I don't think it's so black and white. The more I understand of it now, yeah, okay. Yeah, I just wanted to get your um your take on it because yeah, being obviously an act, like mm-hmm. he's obviously the actor and director of this movie as well. It's just I think it depends. Truly, some people I think get into it. Maybe they're not ready. But others, I think if, if this is your thing and you're, you're so heavily involved in it yep. and it makes sense for it to be your turn to go do it and you do it well, like... Why not? Power to you. Direct your own stuff. So this is the one, this in this film, in um, the Creed world, uh, the accomplished and recently retired boxer Adonis Creed comes face-to-face with his childhood friend and former boxing prodigy Damien Anderson, played by Majors. So basically it starts off with a flashback sequence when they're kids. Obviously he's growing up in and out of foster homes and that and with him and his friend. He's not beating down on someone who I think wronged them when they were young and then it just cuts to present day where he's retired, he's got all the money, he's looking after the gym locally. And then there's this guy that's just leaning on his car, this Rolls Royce SUV, right? He comes out and he's like, yeah, I want you to get off my car. <laughs> and uh, the guy's like, you don't recognize me, do you? And then he, like, has a double take and goes, oh, my God, like, Damien. And then he's like, oh, you just got out? He's like, yeah, I just got out. So you realise he was in jail yeah. for the past 18 years. Um, they go and have lunch and he's like, I want the shot again. I want the shot of what my goals were when I was a kid. I want to I want to be an Olymp- Olympic boxer. I want the title. Yeah, because prison sort of stunts you. Yeah. He's still obviously ripped and stuff. He would have been working oh, under. Oh, like physically. Yeah, but, but I mean, mentally. Mentally. Yeah. Um, Adonis Creed feels obviously bad because you kind of get flashbacks throughout the film of what happened on that night and how he kind of, the other guy kind of came across to like protect Adonis with a gun. He got caught with a gun. Adonis ran. So he feels like kind of guilty that this guy went to jail. So he takes a shot on him that, yeah, just come down to the gym and we'll sort you out. There's supposed to be this um, title fight between one of the guys in the gym and... Um, Drago from the last film mm-hmm. for like the the new world champion. Anyway, they go to like this media conference. Drago gets knocked out by this guy who's just crashing the party with like a like he can't fight. Mm-hmm. So then Creed comes up with this idea. They're like, "Oh, how about my friend? Like he just give him a shot. Like you'll probably beat him, but like give him a shot anyway." <laughs> Jonathan Major's character ends up winning, <laughs> so he's <laughs> the new kind of like world champ out of nowhere, and he turns into this massive dick, being like, "Yeah, I was using this whole time." Turns out he was hit one of his prison buddies who came in and knocked out Drago so he couldn't be in the fight. So it was all planned from the beginning. And so, yeah, so um, Creed feels like he's been wrong this whole time. He's like, well, the only way I can make this guy see that he's kind of 
acting inappropriate in the boxing world is if I fight him again. I come out of retirement and fight him. So then it has their usual sporting montage over music. They're both kind of like, you know, learning how to box again because he's retired and he's still learning. And then, yeah, it's this boxing match in the middle of Dodger Stadium in LA. I've been to that one. Yep. Weird for a boxing match. Weird for a boxing match, but I think this is another COVID movie. So you can tell that the way it was filmed, there's not actually any audience there. It's all CGI. And the most half the fight is there's no audience. It's like, it's just them. It's quiet. Lights are on them and they're just fighting away. It's pretty evenly matched the whole time. And then eventually, like, obviously Creed wins and they respect each other again. And they go, I just want... He it says sorry to him in the end and they, they kind of shake hands and they're equals again, right. so to speak. And that's it. That's the end of Creed 3. I thought the second one was better in terms of story and the reason for the drive of the fight. The, this is the first one without Rocky as well, Balboa as he's kind of like his coach. He just didn't want to be a part of it anymore. I think his character's done. Yeah, I mean, um, how many years has he been doing Oh, it? God, since like 70-something. Yeah. yeah. So that's the last film I watched this week and I'll quickly – Punch through two shows that I kind of finished off. F-Boy Island. No, I'm kidding. No, we've already spoken about that, but that was definitely one of them. <laughs> uh, no, I finished off Blackbird, episodes four to six. So there's only six episodes. So I finished that off. That's the one starring Taron Egerton. I'm not going to get to it. I've got severance now. I'm <sighs> sorry. If you did have more time, I would say bloody well get to it because, yeah, that finished on quite an emotional note is what I'll say. When he finally gets the uh, confession out of the other inmate about – Mm-hmm. Killing the girls. Ooh, it's look, that'll be next time I it's get It's very Apple brittle, TV very emotional. It definitely breaks the character because, like, once he gets out and he's like, they actually give him the sentence. The two detectives that have been working with Taron Edgerton's character. No, we got him. He's like, but I didn't find the bodies. <sighs> he's like, no, you, we got him for enough. Like, he's in, he's not yeah, coming out of jail. And then he just goes, I, I didn't find them. And then he just like walks off. He's a broken man from this. Oh, that's it. It's really well acted. That stuff's heavy. Yeah, really well, really well acted, really well done. So if you've got time, watch Blackbird. Not you, I meant the audience, but. Yeah, I'll get to it eventually. Yeah. We'll add it to the list. And I've just recently started Beef. Oh, yeah. yeah. I haven't got to it yet, but now that I don't have as many streaming services, it's I'll get to it. It's just on Netflix, so you got time. Yeah. Uh, watch episodes one and two. Mm-hmm. There's 10 episodes, so I'm pretty early on. It's just this, it's interesting. It's something I haven't seen before. It's this feud where. I've seen the trailer, so yeah. I kind of know what I'm in for. In for, which is like the characters are just, uh, they're having really bad days, both of them, from completely different worlds. One's rich and one's not. Yep. And they've basically almost rear-end each other in a car accident. And then it just stems from there. Like they both just can't let it go. And they just like, they both get back at each other and it just gets bigger and bigger, each kind of thing they do to each other. And I can just see it just getting out of hand really quickly because even where I'm at now at the end of episode two, it's like it's getting towards vandalism and stuff. It's uh, It takes off pretty quickly. Um, Acting's um, really I good. I think I might get to it, truly. Mm. Like, I know we say that, but yeah, it's, I think it's it might one, be of one of the ones where you go, I probably would say get to that one. It's yeah. very good. Um, so I blitz through, I'm going to blitz through that. That's the last thing I watched this week, but I think it was pretty good. We watched a lot of things. Oh, look, I admittedly, I didn't watch a lot. I read like too much, but you know, I'm getting caught up on some things you needed to. Yeah. Yeah. I tried to sort of make it a bit, a bit diverse, a bit interesting. Yeah. So it's not all the same stuff for everyone at home listening to us. Yeah. But, um, we're going to wrap it up. We, we probably should should wrap it up because, um, it's been long. It's been a long episode and thank you for listening to us uh, at this kind of like catch up episode. 
next week will be another kind of topic, we'll an actual topic. Yeah. We'll get back to you on what it is. And we just want to say thank you so much for keeping with us and listening every week. I've done it. I've made a shirt up. It's on its way. Okay. I just want to see. It's a tester shirt. So yeah. I want to see what it looks like and then we'll see if we can mass produce it and market it to people. Yeah. We're thinking also maybe stickers. So let yeah. us know what stickers you're interested well. in. Yeah. And um, let us know if you liked this episode because we can easily do more of them. Yeah. Um, Every now and then we could do a catch up episode of yeah. things we want to watch. But please suggest things to watch. Please do. Because that could be our new, I'll add it to the list. <laughs> yeah, we do like an episode every now and then where we just watch things that listeners have told us to yeah, watch. That'd be happily, cool. Happily do that as well. Um, so, yeah, thank you so much and we'll catch you again next time. See you. Thanks for sticking with us. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye.